let's get right into the book of James. What we do is we read the whole passage in its entirety. If you don't have your Bibles in James chapter 5, verse 13, you can look up on the screens. We're reading from the ESV. If you're looking at your Bible app, you can just click on that ESV icon. Okay? Let's read. James says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Verse 19, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Okay, so let's pray now and ask God to reveal his word to us. God, we thank you for this uh, text in James. Um, in all of its meaning, in all that you're trying to say, um, digging in, Lord, I knew that there's so much in this text. There's so much gold in each sentence that I knew that we couldn't cover it in one 30-minute message. Um, so, God, I pray that you, you know, use your Holy Spirit like you always do each Sunday and reveal this word to each one of us. Help that God make sense to each one of us and give us a truth that we can apply to our lives each day. So, God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the first verse, James 5, verse 13 says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anybody cheerful or is anybody happy? Let him sing praises. And so, this verse gives two commands, very straightforward. And it says if anybody's suffering, if anybody's having a hard time mentally, spiritually, emotionally, not physically, because he talks about physical sickness later, but just if anybody's suffering. He's talking about persecution. He's talking about just having a hard time. What's he supposed to do? Pray. Now, if somebody comes into church and says, Pastor, I'm having a really hard time, and I say, hey, just pray about it. You know, you might think that's maybe like the simple churchy answer. You know, just pray. You know, go ahead and pray about it. You'll be all right. You know, no, we have counseling, and if there's a way that I could help you with your hard time, I'll help you. But the first thing it says is, if you come in and you're struggling and you're having a difficult time, the first thing I'm going to say is, have you prayed about it? And sometimes people say, it's hard for me to pray for myself. You know, has anybody ever felt that way ever? Like, it's just hard for me to pray for myself sometimes. There's so much going on in the world. There's so much sickness, disease, and uh, I just don't want to bother God with my prayer. When you say that, when you say that it might bother God or that there's a lot going on in the world, you are actually shrinking God da down to a size where he can only help so many people. And we serve an infinitely powerful God that malaria in Africa and your struggle here can both be on his plate and it's not too hard for God. Amen? And so he's like, go to him. Pray for yourself. Pray for yourself and ask God to help you. And the key is we need to pray. We need to pray. It's not just a command. It's, it's our life support as a church. It's our life support as a church. We need 
to be in prayer. We need to pray for ourselves. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, would you classify your prayer life as rich and healthy? Like, would you classify your prayer life on a daily basis as healthy? Like, I know, I know some of you may. I ask that a lot of question, questions to a lot, and about 80% of the time I get, I don't, I wouldn't classify it as healthy. And I say, well, why not? Why not? Like, what's, what? And they say, I don't know. Mainly is I just don't have time. Like, I don't have time to pray. It's, it's hard. Like, I have to be at work at, you know, 6 o'clock a.m., and so that means I have to get up at, you know, 4 if I wanted to pray. Or, you know, I, I'm tired at the end of the day. It's so hard at the end of the day. Or I have time finding the middle. And, you know, and the question I have is, like, what do you mean you don't have time? I think the, que- the, the answer is we need to make time. We need to make time to pray. I don't care, like, what that looks like for you, and I don't mean to not be unsympathetic because I have three kids. I, you know, at one time they were all really little, and, um, you know, I had to be at work at a certain time, and I like to go to bed at a certain time. But I know that everybody here can make time to pray, right? There's always something in your schedule you can schedule around. And I'm like, there's 24 hours in a day. There's 24 hours that we have every day. And if you need to sleep for six, sleep for six. I try to sleep for eight. I slept for eight late last night, and I enjoyed that. I went to bed at like 9.30. Um, But if you need to sleep less hours, sleep less hours. But it's like we tell people is there's 24 hours God's given us. What can you prioritize to get that time in. You can't make 30 minutes of dedicated prayer time. Like, is, it, is that what you're saying? Is I can't make 30 minutes. My day is so busy. My life is so hectic. I can't spare 30 minutes a day to get along with God. I don't think anybody here can actually say that. That I can't spare 30 minutes to just get alone, separate myself from the world, and just get alone and pray to God. I really don't. And if you can, talk to me after. Don't raise your hand and be mad at me. So I think it's time we get serious about prayer. I think it's time as a church we stop making excuses about prayer. Get up an hour earlier. Go to bed an hour later. Um, Now, what's a good model for a prayer time? Uh, A good model is this. Now, I shared with you the acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I I shared that with you, so you have that. If you need that, go back to a couple sermons ago, or I'll share that with you later. But a good, simple model, before you even get to what to pray about, is the simple model is this. Alone and behind closed doors. If you can, that's what your prayer time should look like, okay? You might have a one-bedroom studio apartment, and you got three kids in there, and that's super hard. But I think most bedrooms and apartments, or most houses and apartments come with a bathroom, right? You can go in the bathroom and shut the door and sit on the floor for a second, can't you? Like for a minute. Now, I know if you have kids, it's going to be a little tricky. If you're a single mom, I get that. It's hard. It's tricky. I read about a single mom who had to get her devotions in and her prayer time in. So she would sit at the dinner table and put her apron over her head, and she would study God's word and just pray in silence. And that's all the time she had, and I think God honored that because literally she couldn't get away from, like, her ten kids. So she put the apron over her head, said, kids, Give me a minute, and she would pray. That would be her closed door. But where do I get that alone behind closed doors? Is this, Matthew 6, 6, and Jesus says this. So it's not my words, it's Jesus. He says, but if you pray, does he say, but if you pray? No, no, no. Words are important. Words are important. He says, 
But when you pray, meaning that we all need to have a scheduled prayer time in our lives, and if you're not, you're shortchanging your spiritual life, and maybe that's why you're struggling a little bit. Because you're not, like, in this, making time for God in prayer, so you're saying, I'm struggling. When's the last time you prayed? I don't know. It's been a couple weeks. That's why you're struggling. Like, like, get with God. Okay, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's the first thing. Go, go into a room and shut the door. I don't care if that's a bathroom. Go somewhere. For me, I, I've shared this many times. God's, you know, given us a house with a guest bedroom, and we look for a house. We moved to Muskegon because we have family coming in town. But I go to the guest bedroom. My kids are old enough where they wake up, they go downstairs whenever they feel like it, and they turn on Disney Plus, and they watch TV. And I get up at 6 a.m., make my coffee, and I go down to the guest bedroom, and I spend about an hour down there. And about 7.15, I come up. It happens every day, even on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. Because I know if I struggle spiritually, I'm the shepherd that God's put over the church, and it's going to, like, affect many people. But God's given you guys a family to shepherd. He's given you guys neighbors to minister to. He's given you guys uh, people to love and, and your own ministries here at Jericho Road Church. So if you're struggling spiritually, it's going to affect other people. And it's going to affect your own family. And moms and dads, it's going to affect your family if you don't get this in. So why do I say all that about shutting the door? I talk to a lot of people, and I'm sorry if this offends you, but they say my prayer time every day is just when I'm driving to work. Now, and I'm not saying that's bad. You should pray on your way to work. But I encourage you to find a time where you're not, like, swerving in and out of traffic and giving somebody the bird for, like, you know, a minute. Like, I encourage you to find that time where you're not stressed out because when I'm driving, I can pray, but it's not super fruitful. I'm thinking about, hey, it's, I'm like, dear God, I pray, hey, get out of the lane, get out of the lane. Okay, sorry, God, I'm back. Um, yeah, uh, you know, it's like you're just, you're, your mind's divided and you're driving. You know what I mean? People be like, you know, I pray in the shower. That's my morning prayer time, pray in the shower. So you're telling me you're scrubbing yourself up and that's your, you know, I'm not saying that's bad. But I'm saying is, you'd rather multitask your prayer into other activities. You're saying that I'm so busy, I can't find 30 minutes to just be alone with God. I have to do it while I'm driving. I have to do it in the shower. I have to do it here. Or I have to do it this. Like, give God time where you're totally undistracted because we live in a super distracted world. No Facebook, no Instagram, no TikTok whatever that is. I haven't got on to TikTok yet, but some of you know what that is. And none of this, and just be alone with God for a hot minute, for 30 minutes, no distractions. And what I find, especially for the younger generation, they can't handle silence. They really can't. And if that's you and you fall in that younger generation, you really just can't handle the silence, put on some instrumental worship music in the background. That's okay. But get alone and, and just silence life for a little bit. Meditate on God's word. Close your eyes and get a journal and write down what God's speaking to you about. I'm telling you guys, this prayer life is not just a command. Like, I'm not saying I want you to do it, you know, for my own benefit. I'm saying God makes this as a command that when you pray, because you're going to suffer if you're not. If you neglect this, it's good, your life's going to start suffering in different ways. Because there's no connection with God. How would my marriage look if my wife and I didn't sit and talk for days and days and days? 
We go two days, and I feel like our marriage starts to feel it a little bit. So my wife and I, every night after the kids go to bed, we sit and talk for a little bit because I want to keep that communication solid. It's the same with God. If I don't have this, I struggle in so many ways. And so, guys, keep a prayer time. And during the prayer time, spend time worshiping, spend time thanking God, spend time asking God for things and confessing your sins. That's what a prayer time should look like. Worship, thanksgiving, confession, supplication. Okay? Guys, I can't stress enough how important is prayer life, and I'm not saying that just to beat you over the head or try to act, get you to act religious. I'm saying that if, if you're going to be following Jesus in this world, you got to be having that prayer time every day. Putting on that spiritual armor, getting ready for the day, or this world's going to eat you alive. It's going to kill you. It's going to eat you alive. And that's why we see so many people that are just beat up spiritually, emotionally, because they're not spending time with our Father and our Savior. So it says, and if you're happy, sing praises. That's self-explanatory, sing praises. Um, you could do that at home or here at church, but we should be singing praises. Um, okay, James 5, 14 through 15, he says this. Is anybody among you sick? Let him call on the elders. Again, this is all like very prescriptive for us as a church. If you're struggling, pray. If you're happy, sing songs. And if you're sick, physically sick, call on the elders of the church and let them pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. I think this is one thing that I'll, I'll own that we haven't done a great job with as a church. And so I want to make it an opportunity for you guys to come to elders if you're sick. If you guys are in the hospital, feel free to call me, and I'll either come or send an elder or send somebody in the church to come and pray for you. But it says call on the elders to pray for you and, and let them anoint your head with oil for the sick. Um, the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. So this passage has a ton in it, and as I unpacked it, it kept getting more and more and more, and that's why this is a two-part sermon. All right. Simple command, if anyone's sick, call upon the elders. I want to make that an opportunity for you guys to do that more, but you guys could always ask me. If you're an elder in here, raise your hand. Kubinek, Jesse, Ron is an elder. Um, Floyd Poplinski is an elder back there. Um, and Andy Carlson's an elder, but he's probably in kids' ministry. You guys can call on us. I mean, that's what the Bible says, and we'll pray for you. And... Uh, and, and do that. But it also says, anoint your head with oil. Okay, what does that mean? Why does it say anoint your head with oil? Is that ceremonial or is that medicinal? That's the question we need to ask. In all the commentaries I read, it's saying that the verse that says, let them, the elders pray for you, that's the main point of that passage. Let the elders pray for you. The oil is a side point. It's a side point, but it's referring to medicinal oil. So you're like, what does that mean? All y'all ladies out there selling essential oils are like, oh, yeah, come on, you know, nature's valley, whatever that essential oil stuff's called, cinnamon, whatever, anoint your head. I'm not against essential oils. Y'all could rub a little on your wrists if you want. That's fine. But back then, back then, oil was one of the main sources of medicine. And so as a main, like look at just a couple of verses, and I'll get into this, but a couple of verses. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, it shows that, it was a parable, but it also showed how oil was used back then. Look at verse uh, Luke 10, 33 uh, through 34. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, this man who was sick on the side of the road, when he saw him, or he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn. So he's saying back then when they cared for people, oil was like a, 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 like a medicine that they'd give people, Okay. So he saw it again, 
when he sent out his disciples in Mark 6, 13, he sent out his disciples to do a lot of ministry. And um, it says this, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So it's saying they prayed for people who were sick, but they also had a little oil too to give them, you know, to help out their sickness, right? So it's saying like if somebody's coming to the elders with gut pain, we pray for them, but we also give them Pepto-Bismol. You know what I'm saying? Like that's kind of the idea is like, we don't give medicine here. That's not our thing. But it's saying it's okay to use medicine or medicinal things. But it's saying the prayer is what you should do, you know, first and go to the elders for prayer. Or at least have prayer be a big part of it. But the oil is there too. So realistic, realistically here, it's not ceremonial that we always need to anoint you with oil if you come forward. But it's more or less, it's okay. You know, take your Pepto-Bismol, but if you're sick, come on in. If you have cancer, keep taking your chemo, but come on in and, and let the elders pray for you. And so it's medicinal, but also spiritual, you know, body and soul. And that's kind of the, the final theme I'm going to leave you with, is our body and our soul are like concentric circles. Our body and soul are connected in many ways, and I'll explain that in a second. So they use oil to heal. Um, the prayer is the main point. But at the end of the section, he says something that might catch you off guard, and I'm going to read it real quick. Um, the pat. This passage, James, is addressing the sick, like the physically ill, the sick folks, the physically ill. But it's also addressing sin, okay? So it's addressing sin. So we, the connection we have to make is there is a correlation between sickness and sin. Now, before you riot, I'll explain, okay? There is a correlation in Scripture we see at times between being sick and sin. And so let me, let me read that again. Um, so what he's saying is your sin might have caused your sickness. Your sin might have caused your sickness. Listen to the grand scheme of the Bible. I'm going to throw out a couple of verses, and I'm just going to show you guys a couple of things. Um, what do I mean? If your soul and your body are so closely connected, this is the thought. If your soul is so steeped in sin, it could affect your body. If your soul is like black with sin and you are just in habitual, unconfessed sin, that could actually affect your well-being physically. Your sin could affect you physically. I know some of you may have never heard that. I've heard adorations of that or alliterations to that about like, hey, if you sleep around, you're going to get an STD. And that's talking about consequences and there is that. But it's also talking about if your soul is black with unconfessed sin, it could actually affect your body and make you sick, okay? Um, so you're like, that's wild, that's crazy. Look through these passages real quick. Mark chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Mark chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. This is the story about the men who brought the paralyzed man to Jesus, and they couldn't get him to Jesus, so they tore a hole in the roof and lowered the man to Jesus. And when they could not uh, get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening... They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And so you see kind of this sin thing. Okay, that's only one example. And then he eventually heals the man, but he realized that healing his sin was a precursor to healing him physically. Okay? And so we see Jesus forgave sin. The next one is John chapter 5. Jesus heals a paralyzed man by the pool of Bethesda, and afterwards says this. So he heals a man of the pool of Bethesda, John chapter 5, verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, 
See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. So you see this soul and body is kind of connected, and sometimes our sin can make us sick. Last but not least, this is good because we're taking communion today. When Paul was giving instructions for communion, he said, make sure you examine yourself before you take communion so you don't take communion in an unhealthy way because it could cause you to be sick. And look at verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11. Whoever therefore eats of the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we um, judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. And so it says here, you need to examine yourself for any unconfessed sin in your life. Unconfessed sin in your life, we need to examine that before we take communion. And again, our soul and body are so connected that if our soul is dark with sin, it actually can make us sick. Okay, and I'm going to explain this a tiny bit more. Worship team, you can come on up and get ready. Um, But does that mean, and get this, don't be distracted by the worship team walking, but get this point right here. Does that mean every time we are sick, it's because of sin? No. Okay? Now, a lot of people in the church, they want to see things black and white. So if you're saying that sin can make me sick, you're saying that everybody who's sick, it's sin-related. That's just not how the Bible works, and it's not how God works. So listen to what I'm saying. Sometimes when we study God's word and we ask for application, sometimes it could appear muddied. And like, why isn't it like this all the time? It's not always as black and white as you'd want it. And because look at James 5.15 again. I think it's in the next slide I have up there. It says this. And this is the verse we just read. It says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So it's saying that there's a possibility that your sin has caused the sickness, but it's not in every case. It's not in every case. We live in a fallen world where sin and disease happen. But what he's saying is, if you're sick and you're praying for healing, the first thing you should do is go before the Lord and say, do I have any unconfessed sin in my life? Is there any sin I haven't confessed for? That should be the first thing. If you're good and you feel like you've confessed all your sins before God, I mean, it's part of the fall and it might not be sin-related. Um, and so it's not as clear-cut as we would all like it. But I think it's a good point to know that examining yourself first. Do you want to be well? Come to the elders, ask for prayer. And the first thing we'll do is be like, do you have any unconfessed sins? Do you have any unconfessed sins? And you say no, and um, then we'll pray for you. So I knew I wouldn't finish this passage, so I'm going to read the rest later at a different time. But I want us to take communion together. But I want us to, uh, before we take communion, I want us to examine ourselves. Um, But first, let me read this passage. I'll let you guys sit with this whole passage for a week, this one that we just read, and then we'll talk about it next week. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord from that which I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And therefore, whoever eats his bread and drinks his cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So he's saying at this time, you know, don't get drunk on the communion wine in church. That's not supposed to happen. Don't be like shoving your mouth full of crackers and that's unworthy manner. You know, he's talking about that. But he's also talking about this next point in verse 28. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So the first thing you do before you take communion is examine yourself. Say, God, is there any unclean way within me, any blind spots I might not be seeing? And ask God um, to forgive you of those sins that he might bring to your memory. Some of you might not need prompting. You already know your unconfessed sins, and it's time to confess it because the Bible said he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins if you confess it. So what I want us to do is come up and grab communion and then take the time to confess your sins, and we will... Um, take communion together once everybody has been served, okay? And so the way we do it is, if you can come down the, the side aisles, and we'll get communion up here, and then go back down the center aisle, okay? All right, so why don't you come on up, and we'll take communion.